Hello, Grease fans, and welcome to Greaseology, the podcast where I study the Grease movies five minutes at a time and come back here to tell you more, tell you more. This is episode two. Hey, there's Danny. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Can't believe I just did that. Okay, so I have a lot that I want to talk about this time, but I want to start out by going back to episode one. For some reason, I forgot to talk about the theme song, the song that they play along with the opening credit animation sequence. I don't know what I was thinking, um, but I completely forgot to discuss it. And I just have a few things I want to say because this song, to me, is what makes a lot of the heart of the movie. I mean, just hearing this song, just, it's just imprinted with me. So first thing I want to say is, um, actually this, the animation sequence originally was set to a different song. Now, if you have the DVD, um, I'm not sure when this DVD came out, but one of the DVDs, probably all of them now, on the special features, you can go back and watch the animation see opening sequence with the original song, the first song they had. And it's, it's really silly. Um, it's like a lighthearted 1950s kind of bubblegum, sort of like a happy days kind of feel. And it's fine, but you know, knowing what we know about the actual song, when you go back and try to watch it with this first song, it's, it's really difficult. It just does not fit at all. But, you know, they had this original song. And they thought it was, like I said, they thought it was fine, but nobody was just going crazy for it. Robert Stigwood had the genius idea to ask Barry Gibb if he would just try maybe writing a song and see what he came up with. Now, at the time, if you remember, Robert Stigwood was managing the Bee Gees at the time and working closely with them. And so he called up Barry Gibb. And he said, hey, there's this movie that we're making called Grease. Can you make a song for the, like a theme song for the movie? And apparently Barry Gibb replied and said, Grease, what a word. And so that kind of led him when he sat down at the piano and started coming up with a song that sort of stuck with him. Grease is the word, the word that you heard. I just love that. So anyway, um, Barry Gibb would agree to do it. And at the time, he was also finishing filming the movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Cl Hearts Club Band, which I never saw. I probably should. Um, but that was happening at the time. One of his fellow castmates in the movie was Peter Frampton. So he asked Peter Frampton if he would play guitar on the song Grease. He also, Gibb also asked Frankie Valley, 
if he would do the vocals because Barry Gibb and Frankie Valley have very similar vocal range. Plus Frankie Valley at the time was also being managed by Alan Carr. Also Frankie Valley was kind of a smart choice because he was really big in the 1950s. And so to have his voice on the song sort of helped bridge that gap for the 1970s moviegoers. The Sweet Inspirations, I did not know who they were, but they were an all-female soul gospel R&B group. They did the backup vocals on the song. Barry Gibb also provided some backup vocals. He asked George Terry, who was also a guitarist for Eric Clapton, if he would play guitar as well. Um, George Terry was also playing guitar for Barry Gibb's brother, Andy Gibb, at the time. And then they brought in saxophonist Gary Brown. Um, Gary Brown at the time was doing a lot of jazz, but he also played saxophone on the song Sandy that John Travolta sings in the movie. That's his solo song. Um, It's also the Alone at the Drive-In song. Barry Gibb brought in all these people. They recorded the song. And originally, when Randall Kleiser and and everybody working on the movie, when they heard the song played with the animation, they weren't really sure if it was going to fit. Because like I said, it was this, it was the Bee Gees and it had this like, just a different feel from, I guess, what Randall was um, envisioning for a 1950s movie. Stigwood went with his intuition and everybody else kind of followed along. And man, I am so glad they did because I could just... That song is just amazing. I would love for you to go on YouTube as soon as you're done listening to this. And there is a made-for-TV special that Alan Carr produced. Um, It came out during the release of Grease or right before the release of Grease. Go to YouTube and type in Grease Day USA. And you are going to find, there's a link in the notes. You can just click on it there. You're going to find this amazing 1970s made-for-TV special with um, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John and the whole cast from Greece, plus some special, all kinds of special appearances from people who are famous in the 70s. If you love watching nostalgic TV, especially TV from the 70s, you need to watch this. It's it's going to be really fun. Okay, so check that out. And then another thing that I linked in the notes for you to see. Does anybody else enjoy watching the old bumpers that they would have on TV? Like between when they would air a movie on ABC or CBS or NBC. Like the Sunday night movie or the Monday night movie. They would always have a little bumper that they would repeat at all the commercial breaks. And I just, I love like when I see one of those from the past, it just immediately takes me back to that time. And the first time I ever saw Grease, it was a recording that my grandfather recorded off of television for me in 1981. And when the recording that he made had all the commercials and and everything, and it was the ABC Sunday night movie. And so that bumper is also on the, or it was also on the recording. So for me, when I watched Grease, I also saw this bumper play. And so it's, that's just like part of the movie experience for me with Grease. When I watch it, it just takes me back immediately. So 
I went on YouTube and I found that bumper. I'm gonna play a clip right here so you can hear it. There's also a link you can go back and go to go to my notes and find the link and you can watch it on YouTube yourself. But this just when you watch this, just know for me, this is like so connected to Greece in such a deep way. All right. So we're at the beginning of the movie. And before we talk about what's happening in this clip, um, another thing I just want to bring up is a few notes that Randall Kleiser brought up in his book on the pre-production of the movie. Um, so I thought it was really sweet. He, he spends a few pages talking about the relationship that he and Pat Birch developed. Remember, she was the, the choreographer. And also the relationship that he and per Pat Birch had with the cinematographer, Bill Butler. So I just want to give a little bit of background on Pat Birch and Bill Butler and also talk a little bit about just their daily, the daily routine that they all had during rehearsals and pre-production before the movie started filming. So um, first of all, let me just say a little bit about Pat Birch. Pat Birch, oh, I had notes about her, but where are they? Okay, you know what? I will bring it up in my next episode. I didn't put when she was born all right. Well, I totally messed up on the Pat Birch thing. Um, <laughs> that's, hey, that's podcasting. Um, so Pat Birch was in the original Broadway cast of West Side Story. So not only is she a choreographer, she has a, an amazing history of Broadway dancing herself. So in the original cast of West Side Story, she was playing anybody's, um, the tomboy who ran with the Jets. Now, I did have not seen West Side Story I think I saw the movie version once a long time ago, um, but I'm not sure who anybody's was. In the original cast, though, that was Pat Birch. She also had four Tony nominations from previous years before she was hired on with Grease for choreography, but Grease was her first movie. Pat Birch came up with a great idea to kick off rehearsals and to help sort out which actors could dance and which actors would need extra help. So what they did was they had a sock hop, or basically a dance. On the Paramount lot, they had this giant soundstage that was assigned to them for rehearsals. And so it was on this soundstage. They kicked off rehearsals. They had they brought in all the actors, and they basically had like a quote-unquote high school dance. Um, they brought all the dancers in a big circle, and then they had live piano and drum music so they were playing like live rock and roll and pat brought or she would have two uh actors come out in a couple at a time two at a time and just dance and see who was going to need more help and who had skills already as a dancer so she was just sort of trying to sort through who was going to be you know the more skilled ones and who would need more help and I thought that was just kind of funny because, dang, I mean, no time to be shy, right? What if you're 
could you imagine just being in this giant circle with John Travolta and all these other people? Oh my gosh. So anyway, in the original script, if you remember at the dance, Danny dances with Cha-Cha at the dance, but he also dances with Sandy. Now in the original script, he does not dance with Sandy. He only dances with Cha-Cha. I think that's how it was in the stage musical as well. But in this like sock hop rehearsal thing that Pat set up, she noticed that Olivia Newton-John was actually a really good dancer. So she took the initiative to change the script so that Danny and Sandy could dance together and Sandy would have an or Olivia Newton-John would have an opportunity to show off her dancing skills and that she, you know, thought that might kind of um, be a nice edit for the dance scene as well. All right. So the other person that I brought up was Bill Butler and he was the cinematographer for the movie. Now, I have to say, I did not know who Bill Butler was, but after I started researching him, um, I was just kind of blown away. So this is really cool. He was born on April 7th, 1921, and he actually just died. He died on April 5th, 2023, just two days before his 102nd birthday. So, I mean, Bill Butler, woohoo, that's pretty amazing. Now, Bill Butler was actually hired on to be the cinematographer for Greece before Pat Birch or Randall Kleiser had been hired. So he was already kind of a big deal. Um, at the time that Greece began pre-production, Bill Butler had already uh, filmed Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. He was the cinematographer for Jaws. Hello. He also... Um, later would do Ice Castles, Rocky 2, 3, and 4, Stripes, The Thornbirds, Biloxi Blues, Child's Play, Hot Shots. He also worked the photography departments on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Deliverance. So Bill Butler was a big deal. Um, Kleiser talks in his book about how Bill Butler would follow Pat Birch around um, when she was working with the dancers. And he would do that little gesture with his hands and his fingers to make a picture frame so he could, you know, kind of see what Pat was seeing and try to get an idea of how to capture it. It looks like this probably would have been his first musical, if not his only musical. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Anyway, in his book, Randall also describes a typical rehearsal day which to me just sounds like summer camp. And I mean, I think somebody should come up with a Greece summer camp. Wouldn't that be awesome? All right. So in the morning, the actors would work with Randall Kleiser on dialogue and Pat Birch would work with the actors who could dance. And then in the afternoons, Randall, Pat, and the actors would all come together with Bill Butler and they would work out the transitions of acting to singing and dancing. So, I mean, it's like a full day of camp. It just sounds so much fun. Um, please, somebody make this camp. Another funny thing that Randall Kleiser just sort of threw in there was that during rehearsal time, apparently on the Paramount lot near the soundstage where they were rehearsing, um, apparently Jack Nicholson was using an office nearby 
to prepare for his upcoming movie called Going South, which I had never heard of, but I looked it up and it looks kind of interesting. Um, feel free to look it up. And, but he apparently, uh, was quote unquote disturbed by all the noise coming from the grease rehearsals. Also, Warren Beatty was said to be in a nearby lot at the time preparing for the movie Heaven Can Wait. So check out those movies if you want and know that they were um, at the same time as Grease. So let's dive into the movie and talk about minutes five through ten. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to give a real quick synopsis first, and then we will go into the scene in more detail. So basically, the students are arriving on the first day of school. We see that Sandy and Danny are at the same school. We are introduced to the T-Birds, the Pink Ladies, some teachers, and office staff. We also get a glimpse of the rebellious nature of the T-Birds and their harassment of Eugene. I don't know why I said harassment that way. All right, so let's move into it. So we start out the animated Rydell High morphs into the real Rydell High. Sunny, Duty, and Putsy are playfully walking up the front steps. They're pushing and teasing each other while tossing Sunny's sack lunch around. Okay, so here, I just wanted to say, this opening scene was actually the very first day of shooting, um, which is kind of neat to know. The T-Bird buddies are horsing around before school. That whole scene... Um, of like throwing the sack lunch around and Putsy falling over the bushes. That whole thing was choreographed by Pat Birch. Uh, so just, just keep in mind, and I, I also want to throw this out, anytime, especially in these scenes that are shot during school, anytime there's like extra students moving around in the background, just know that that was all perfectly choreographed by Pat Birch down to the step. That's not just chaos happening like, you know, actors just wandering around. If you look like that's, I just, I love thinking about how all these like little moments are happening. You might be watching, you know, somebody in the foreground having a conversation, but in the background, not really noticing what's happening, but just remember that that's, you know, that, that was all part of it. That was choreographed. And so I'm totally nerding out, but just something to think about the next time you watch Grease, or any movie for that matter. Okay, so this is our first introduction to the T-Birds, and I will go more into detail about each of these actors later, but I just will tell you um, we have Putsy, who is Kelly Ward, Sunny is Michael Tucci, and Duty is Barry Pearl. Now, as Putsy and Sunny and Duty are goofing off on the sidewalk, if you notice in the background, we see a guy enter in the distance um, from the right, and that's Kaniki. And I had never noticed this before, but just a second after Kaniki steps on screen, he like knocks this other kid's books out of his hand, which is kind of mean, but we get instantly right away that Kaniki is a tough guy. 
Um, so next time you watch this clip, um, notice that part. So here comes Kaniki and Sunny, Duty, and Putsy come running up to him. They ask about his summer. And just then, Duty spots Danny and hollers out, Hey, there's Danny. Woo woo, woo woo, woo woo, woo woo. I'm going to play a clip right here. Save enough to get me some wheels. Yeah. You want to hear what I did? No. Hey, there's Danny. Woo woo, woo woo, woo woo, woo Now, I just have to say, I love the way Barry Pearl performs this moment. Thank you, Barry Pearl, for the comedy you infused into this movie. We see Danny standing up ahead with his back to camera, chatting it up with three girls with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. The camera zooms in just as Danny turns to give us that iconic smile. Okay, I'm going to talk about this um, part really quick. So, do you remember earlier I was talking about the ABC Sunday Night Movie bumper that they would play on ABC when they aired this movie for the Sunday Night Movie? So, this little zoom in of Danny, this was the clip that they would play when they were doing the promos with that bumper for that movie. So in my head as a seven-year-old, this, that is just like, that in totally encapsulates the movie for me is that moment. I saw that so many times. Also in the script, Danny's introduction is described like this quote, with the self-assured slowness of an oscillating fan, Danny turns full face to see his friends, end quote. And I freaking love that writing. Um, the self-assured slowness of an oscillating fan. I mean, who comes up with that? That's just so cool. But that is exactly what he does. He like turns real slow and he's got that confident look and that smile. Oh, it's just amazing. All right. Here's another thing that was in the script, but they actually did not put this in the movie and I'm glad they didn't. Um, in the script, it says that Danny is feeling the girls up that are standing with him. And I'm so glad they cut that because it kind of takes away from the heart of the movie. I feel like Grease is a romantic comedy as well as a musical. And we really want our heartthrob to just, you know, he's only got eyes for Sandy. And even though he doesn't know that Sandy is at his school yet, just to see him with his hands all over other girls just kind of takes a little bit away from the heart of the movie. So I'm glad he was not doing that. So this is when Danny walks over and if you notice duty holds out his hand palms up for Danny to give him a high five or to give him five, but Danny just ignores it and leaves him hanging, which is kind of funny. Uh, the T-Birds are asking Danny about his summer and he tells him that he was at the beach and it was flippin' and that he did meet a chick who was sort of cool. So originally, Danny was going to stand on the left side of the T-Birds and he was going to show the right side of his face. But he felt like his left side was his better side. So they actually went back and reshot this whole scene so that Danny would walk around the T-Birds and stand on the right side of them and show the left side of his face. Now, Randall Kleiser just 
talks a little bit about this. He says that when he was filming The Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta, that he didn't have a good side, which was kind of a joke because John Travolta, that was his first movie. And, you know, that just wasn't, he wasn't going to be one of those picky actors. But now that he was having some success and he had an entourage, he had been convinced that he had a better side and the whole thing needed to be redone. So they did. And, you know, got to say, it's a great scene. But I don't think John Travolta has a bad side. I think it would have been fine the other way, too. All right. Oh, and here's another thing I just wanted to throw out. Um, did they really not see each other all summer? They're asking each other what they did and and all this stuff. And I don't know. I feel like there were definitely kids that I did not see all summer from school, but my best friends, yeah, I saw them. We knew what each other was doing all summer and the T-Birds are like very best friends. And, you know, I don't know. I just thought I always, even as a kid, I always thought, wow, did they really not see each other? The T-Birds continue on through the crowd to enter the building when we see Frenchie and Sandy walking nearby in the crowd, but just far enough away that Danny and Sandy do not notice each other. Sandy asks Frenchie if she looks okay and tells her she's nervous. We realize that Sandy never moved back to Australia and now Rydell is her new school. Frenchie assures Sandy that she'll love it. Sandy says she loved the last school she was at but she's not a stranger to heartbreak. And Frenchie replies, Why? You got psoriasis? You'll love it. I love the last school I was there. I wish I was there right now. Still, I'm not a stranger to heartbreak. Why? You got psoriasis? <laughs> okay, now I have to stop here and talk about this joke because when I was a kid, I had no idea what she was talking about. And I actually remember asking my mom about it at the time, and she explained, she knew what the reference was. She got it, because she was alive at the time when this was relevant. Um, but if you don't know, so in the 1950s and 60s, there was a commercial for a skin cream called Tegrin, or a, a product called Tegrin, and it was a treatment for psoriasis, which is a really painful skin condition that causes your skin to flake and itch and so there was a commercial and mainly it was in the 1960s so I couldn't really find an example of this ad in the 1950s when this movie would have been been in the night in 1959 so I don't know how Frenchie would have known about it but it doesn't matter um if you look on YouTube you can see a lot of 1960s commercials that make that use this reference but basically the ad said the heartbreak of psoriasis which is kind of sad because yeah i mean this psoriasis apparently you know gave a lot of people heartbreak because it was painful and it affected their you know what kind of clothes they wore in their personal lives and ah so the heartbreak of psoriasis so that's that's the reference that frenchie is making when sandy says Still, I'm not a stranger to heartbreak. Frenchie jokes. Wow, you got psoriasis? Now, you can uh, go to the Instagram page. I'm going to have some examples of the heartbreak of psoriasis ad. And I will also have a link to the commercial on YouTube that you can look at if you're interested and you want to see. All right, so now the next scene 
we see a pink 1948 Studebaker Commander Regal. That is the pink lady's car. It's pulling up. Jan, Marty, and Rizzo get out. They're chatting about the new school year. As they walk away, we see the pink lady's jacket for the very first time. Now, here are a few of my notes about this scene. First of all, we have our three pink ladies. We have Stockard Channing as Rizzo, Diana Manoff as Marty, and Jamie Donnelly as Jan. Now, in the shooting script, I was kind of surprised to read the description for Jan. It made me feel kind of sorry for her. Um, so Alan Carr and Bronte Woodard, who wrote the shooting script, described her as this, quote, an overweight girl who has the posture of a hen and wears baggy clothes, end quote. So I'm not really sure what to even say to that. Um, I actually Googled... <laughs> I actually Googled what does posture of a hen or I just Googled posture of a hen and just got a bunch of pictures of chickens. Um, so yeah, that's how they intended for Jan to be. The Broadway character is described as a quirky Lutheran with a voracious appetite, which is a little better. But yeah, so that's Jan. So Jamie Donnelly plays Jan but one thing I wanted to note is that she also played her for an extended period on Broadway. So she, when she came to the movie, she already had a good, good understanding of the character. She had already played the character. So I feel like, well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I want to undercut Stockard Channing or Dinah Manoff because they were amazing as well, but I really love how Jamie Donnelly plays Jan. So in this scene in particular, I want you to notice as the pink ladies are about to walk away, Jamie Donnelly is eating an Oreo and she does this thing with the Oreo just as they're about to turn away. She puts the Oreo in her mouth and she just starts to strut with this regal air. Like she just knows that she's royalty on campus. It's so cute, despite the fact that she has the posture of a chicken or um, <laughs> she's a quirky Lutheran. So Jan, I love you. You're awesome. All right. Another thing I wanted to add is as the pink ladies are walking away, notice that beat that they put in there in the music. It's that Barry Gibb sound. I just love that because it really sort of helps you to strap in for the movie and get a feel of the tone and the beat of the movie. Let's go get him. Just another little note that was interesting. In the shooting script, this scene was actually supposed to come first before the scene of the T-Birds coming up the sidewalk and running into uh, Kaniki and Danny. We were going to have the pink ladies first. And then we were going to have that, but they flip-flopped it and we got it the way we got it. So just an interesting note. All right, moving on. Now we are in the school office and we meet Principal McGee and her secretary, Blanche, for the first time. Blanche is shuffling papers and Miss McGee is looking for schedules. There's a pile of chocolate candy wrappers scattered all over the countertop. And Miss McGee sarcastically comments on the papers being nice and smudged. 
Miss McGee is fed up when she notices Blanche gave her last semester schedules and slaps the stack of papers back into Blanche's arms. Blanche, do you have the new schedules? Yes, Miss McGee. I just had my hands on them. Oh, good. They'll be nice and smudged. Oh, here we are. If it had been a snake, it would have bitten me. Blanche, these are the schedules we couldn't find for last semester. Now, maybe next year you'll find the ones for this semester. Okay. So, in the script, Blanche's fingers were actually supposed to be smudged with Mimeo ink and carbon, not the chocolate. Now, I love that they switched it to chocolate here because, honestly, seeing those candy wrappers all over the countertop is funny. And we kind of get a, a good sense of Blanche's character as well that, you know, she's quirky and she's silly and she's, she's going to provide a lot of the comedy in this movie. Well, not just her, but her duo with Principal McGee. All right. Also, I want you to look in the background. Remember earlier I was talking about Patricia Birch's choreography and how nothing is wasted in this movie. Those students in the background in the hallway, you know, they're providing a lot of interesting background action. And that was all choreographed. They could have just had kids walking down the hall, um, yawn, boring. But no, they did this, and it's it's just really awesome. So thank you, Pat Birch. All right, so now we're back in the office, and the teachers are punching the clock, and they're already sounding miserable. Mr. Lynch laments to Mrs. Murdoch that he's got Kanicki again, and Nurse Wilkins is annoyed because it's the first day of school and already her castor oil is missing. Um, does it seem odd to anyone else that teachers are punching a clock? Maybe in some schools they do that, but I was a teacher and we did not punch a clock as far as I can remember. Maybe I'm misremembering. And if I'm wrong, if any of my former fellow teachers are listening and they're like, no, we punched a clock and I'm just completely wrong, then please let me know. But yeah, I just think it's a little weird. And, you know, are these teachers getting paid extra for overtime? Because I worked a lot of overtime as a teacher and I did not get paid extra for that. So just something funny I noticed. Also, in the shooting script, I was reading what the teachers are saying here. And for the most part, it's basically the same, but there's a few differences. So Mr. Lynch in the shooting script is supposed to say, ye gods. I've got Kaniki again. In the movie, he just says, I've got Kaniki again. But I thought, ye gods, that's, I just, I don't know. I guess thank you, Alan Carr and Bronte Woodard for putting that in there. It was just kind of funny. I think Mr. Lynch is like a history teacher. So I guess, you know, maybe he would be kind of theatrical like that. Ye gods. The next thing that was a little different from the shooting script Miss, uh, I'm sorry, Nurse Wilkins, in the movie, she complains that her castor oil is missing. It's the first day of school and already my castor oil is missing. In the shooting script, it was actually not castor oil. So what she was supposed to say, um, she's sorry that it's, she's upset that it's the first day of school and she says, I'm sure they'll be lined up at the infirmary right after homeroom back to school fever. Well, I've got the answer for that. Paragoric. Okay, 
Who knows what paragoric is? I did not know, so I had to look it up. And basically, paragoric was a tincture that contained small amounts of opium. It was used for all sorts of ailments in the 18th and 19th centuries. It was listed as a Schedule Three drug in 1970, but in 1959, you could still buy it at a pharmacy without a prescription. So she was going to threaten to use paragoric, but... You know, they changed it to castor oil, and I have to say, rhythmically, with the way Fanny Flagg delivers that line, already my castor oil is missing. That just has such a good rhythm to it, and it sounds so much better than just paragoric. All right, so also, here were some interesting things I thought of. Did school nurses actually, did they really give castor oil to students in the 1950s? And what were the uses of castor oil? Because I really didn't know. So I looked it up and castor oil is basically a laxative. But if you go back in time, it was it has a history of being used for punishment. And Mussolini actually would give it to his own people. Anybody who spoke out against him or anyone he wanted to punish, he would strap them in a chair force them to drink bottles of castor oil, and then they wouldn't be able to go anywhere. They would just be stuck there, and they would be forced to have public diarrhea for days with crowds of people watching. Um, it just sounds horrific. I had never even heard of that. It's just terrible. So then I started thinking, well, why would her castor oil go missing? Well, as a kid, when I watched this movie... I always assumed, I knew the castor oil was like some kind of medicine because the nurse had it, but I always assumed that maybe the castor oil went missing because the kids were afraid that the nurse might make them drink it because who wants to drink yucky medicine? But then going back now and kind of researching castor oil and discovering that it was actually used as a punishment... Now I'm thinking, I bet some kids stole it because they're going to use it to, as like a prank on another kid. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Was that the first thing you assumed when you saw this? I don't know. So then Miss Murdoch asks Miss McGee, who's off camera, how many days till Christmas vacation? How many days till Christmas vacation? 86. 86. But Sandy uh. answers instead and tells her 86. Okay, so I nerded out on this a little bit. So Labor Day in 1959 was September 7th. And if school started the next day on September 8th, then 86 days from then would be December 2nd. If school started the following Monday, September 14th, then 86 days from that would be December 9th. Christmas Day was on a Friday in 1959, so it was likely that Friday, December 18th was the last day of school before Christmas vacation. And if you count backwards from December 18th, you get to September 24th, which seems kind of late for the first day of school, so it doesn't really fit. I'm not really sure when is school starting late in September so that they're 86 days away from Christmas? Or 
is Christmas vacation starting really early in December. I just, I don't know. So I know it's a movie. I know and none of it makes sense. It was all just numbers and written, but you know, my nerd brain, I wanted to play around with it and see if it really fit and it didn't. Then Miss McGee asks Sandy if she needs help. Sandy tells her she's new. She doesn't know what to do. So Miss McGee just gives her a few forms to fill out and walks away. Um, in the movie, I think it's just funny that a new student from another country is getting registered the morning of the first day of school. Okay, yes, I know it's a movie. Then Miss McGee walks away to break up a scuffle in the hallway between two boys. Choreographed. Sandy asks, asks Blanche for a pencil to fill out her papers. Blanche casually pulls out a pencil out of her nest of hair. Now, here's another moment when the film differs from the shooting script. So in the shooting script, Blanche is looking frantically through her desk when Sandy asks her for a pencil. Blanche is taken by surprise and looks up with a blank look. She mournfully replies, no. Sandy is taken aback and looks away. And then the scene cuts to the T-Birds coming down the hall. And she never gets a pencil. So I think what they did in the movie works much better. I love how Dodie Goodman, who is the actress who plays Blanche, she just casually pulls this pencil out of her hair and gives it to her. And she's just, you know, a free spirit. And I just love Blanche. And I love how Dodie Goodman plays this character with a kind of a silly and ditzy confidence. And I will talk more about Dodie Goodman later. Um, you know what? I think I will talk about Dodie Goodman and Eve Arden now, actually. Let me see. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about them now. I will, I will talk about each actor. I'll give like a little brief history of each actor as they have important scenes that come up in the movie. So I think on this episode, I'm going to talk about Dodie Goodman and Eve Arden. They're the two characters who play Blanche and Principal McGee. And I'm also going to talk about Michael Tucci. Now, Michael Tucci is one of the, he plays Sonny. And Sonny and Miss McGee, as we find out in a few minutes, they're going to have a moment together in the hall so I will also talk about him. So let's just go back to Eve Arden and Dodie Goodman. They're the two who play Blanche and Miss McGee. And I just have to say, I really love how they, what they brought to the movie, the, the way that these two characters work together, these two actors work together. All right, so let's talk about Eve Arden. So Eve Arden was born in 1908 in Mill Valley, California, she was the star of a radio show called Our Miss Brooks, and it was on CBS from 1948 to 1957, CBS Radio. It was then adapted to a television show, which was on TV on CBS from 1952 to 1956. So she was on this radio show playing a character, and at the same time, she was also doing the TV show playing this character on television. So, I mean, she was pretty hot and popular back in the 50s. 
And then at the same time, or maybe towards the end of the television run, there was also a movie um, that she did of the same characters, the, an Armis Brooks movie. So there was a radio show, a TV show, and a movie. So Armis Brooks was hugely popular in the 1950s. And if you were a kid at that time or teenager, adult, whatever, you would have known this character. Now, if you go on YouTube or just go on Google and look up images of Armis Brooks, her the way that Eve Arden's hair is styled is very similar to the way that they style Principal McGee's hair. And even some of her, just the costume choices, I feel like they were really trying to make a make us make the connection that she was bringing a little bit of Miss Brooks to this character. Also, if you watch clips of the TV show, Our Miss Brooks, even the way that Connie Brooks, her character is written, she she's even described as a sarcastic high school English teacher. So she has this um, sarcastic, comedic um, style that she also brings to the Miss McGee character. The characters are very similar. Before Miss Brooks, Eve Arden already had a prolific film career. She had been in dozens of films during the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And most importantly, of course, she was on an episode of The Love Boat in 1980. Um, during her lifetime, she adopted three children and she had one biological child when she was 46. Go Eve Arden. She died at her home of cardiac arrest in 1990. So Eve Arden was, she was awesome. Now I want to just talk about Dodie Goodman. That's the actress who plays Blanche. She was born in 1914 in Columbus, Ohio. She studied acting and ballet as a youth. She got her start on Broadway. She was a regular on Jack Parr's Tonight Show in the 1950s. So again, a huge, you know, icon, TV personality, somebody that everybody would have known in the 1950s. But then also in the 1970s, she was still very popular. She played Mary Hartman's mother on the TV show, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Um, that's another one that I've never seen, and you should go look it up. I will look it up later as well. In the 1980s, she had recurring roles on Different Strokes and on Punky Brewster. And of course, she was in Grease 1. She was also in Grease 2, uh, reprising her role alongside Eve Arden. And if you were a big moviegoer in the 80s, you probably remember her as Tom Hanks's absent-minded secretary in the movie Splash. She was also the voice of Miss Miller on Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um, by the way, that's the older 1983 Alvin and the Chipmunks, not to be confused with the 2010 series Alvin and the Chipmunks. Apparently, Dodie Goodman stayed in character all during the filming of The Dance, and Randall Kleiser mentions that the cameras would just catch her improvising, and they would catch her, or you can see her in the movie, some of these moments where she'd be improvising, she would just be off in the corner by herself dancing madly, or she would be gazing adoringly at Johnny Casino. Um, so Dodie Goodman just, I just, she was amazing. I love what she brought to the movie. She died in 2008 of natural causes in Inglewood, New Jersey. And I just want to 
mention, I think this is the first time I've discussed Inglewood, but later we will talk about it. Um, John Travolta, I believe, was born in Inglewood, New Jersey. And I also think Pat Birch was born in Inglewood as well. And now here uh, we're finding out that Dodie Goodman died in Inglewood. So I just want to have a little Inglewood tracker. Uh, let's like see if we can keep up with who all has connections to Inglewood. So real quick, I will talk more about the teachers and, and staff later, but we have Alice Ghostly playing the part of Miss Murdoch. Fanny Flagg playing the part of Nurse Wilkins, and Daryl Zwirling is Mr. Lynch. And I'll talk more about them later. All right, so continuing on, then the bell rings and all the kids move into their classrooms, except for the T-Birds, who linger in the hall. Sonny complains about his schedule because every teacher he's had this year has already flunked him once. Duty is egging him on and combing his hair. Putsy seems to be playing with a yo-yo, although you can't really see it. Kaniki flips shut either a switchblade or a folding comb and has either a toothpick or a lollipop in his mouth. Danny's just cool and doesn't have a thing to say. He's just strutting along and totally channeling Tony Monero. Now, I had a thought here. Um, Saturday Night Lot, sorry, Night Live, Saturday Night Fever had just been filmed. Um, I don't think it had been released yet. So this movie was being filmed in the summer of 77. And Saturday Night Fever, I believe, had already been filmed. And I think uh, Fever was released... I want to say in January of 78 and then Greece, the Greece release, haha, was in, um, I think that was in the summer of 78, the following summer. So just to make a long story short, Tony Monero was like still very, had to have been still very much present in John Travolta's head, just that character. So when you see him walking along in the hall, I just, I feel like that's Tony Monero. All right, so just then, Miss McGee steps out of the office just as the T-Birds are about to pass. All the boys, except for Sonny, see her, and they all hang back out of her view. But Sonny keeps walking by, and Miss McGee busts him for dwaddling. She scolds Mr. Lattieri, who then mutters something in Italian. I think I'm going to put a clip here. Yeah, let's listen to to what he says here, because... I'm going to be honest. I really want to know what he's saying. I don't speak Italian. I can order Italian off a menu, but I don't really know how to give an insult in Italian. If anyone knows what he's saying, please let me know. Let's listen. Aren't you supposed to be in homeroom right now? I was just going for a walk. You were just dawdling, weren't you? Yes, ma'am. That is no way to start a new semester, Mr. Lattieri. Perhaps a session of banging erasers after school would put you on the right... All right, so she knows he's giving her some sass, and she turns around and threatens to make him stay after school to bang erasers. But she lets him off the hook as long as he will move and get to homeroom. She returns to the office without noticing the other T-birds hanging back by the wall. 
In the shooting script, it doesn't mention anything about him saying anything under his breath. He's just answering back, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And then Miss McGee, unprovoked, says in the shooting script, she says, And I think it would be a good idea to develop your school spirit. If you joined the cleanup committee, you'll meet after school in front of the custodian's office. And then in Randall Kleiser's book, if you, you can see in the shooting script, he actually scratched out that whole part about the cleanup committee. And he wrote in, perhaps a session of banging erasers after school, which we all know is basically what Eve Arden ends up saying, which is amazing because it has a better rhythm and it sounds better. And we can all, you know, what's cleanup committee? I don't know. That just sounds kind of boring, but we can all imagine Sunny banging erasers and a cloud of chalk. And I just, I love that. It's just so much better. So good job guys. Then um, Danny comes over to Sunny and teases him about not taking any of her crap. And then Sonny bites his fist at Danny. And I looked this up too. I just wanted to, I know it's basically an Italian hand gesture insult, but I wanted to find out what that means. Basically, it's got a few different meanings based, you know, depending on the context. But in this instance, I think it basically means Sonny is trying to show that he's holding himself back from either delivering another mean insult to Danny or he's holding himself back from punching Danny. Uh, then the T-Birds head up the stairs. And as they head up the stairs, they're super excited because they see Eugene. Um, Eugene is a boy in glasses, a suit, a bow tie, and white leather shoes, and a briefcase. He's coming down the stairs. Sunny sees him and calls out in a teasing way, Hey, Eugene! Hey, Eugene! Hey, I can't wait! Hey, buddy! Hey, that's wrong to And Eugene enthusiastically waves back and says, Hi, fellas! Duty says, Shake, buddy! And it sounds like Eugene's trying to answer that he doesn't have time, but Duty reaches out and grabs his hand anyway with a concealed hand buzzer in his palm, and Eugene gets a shock that makes him gyrate on the stairs, which is great acting. Sonny pats him on the back. Putsy reaches out to straighten his tie. Duty puts his hands all over Eugene's hair and glasses. And all the while, Danny and Kanicki are not getting involved, but they're not stopping it either. They continue up the stairs, and then Kanicki calls out to them, Come on, let's go. So this is the part where we are introduced to Eugene and we see what pricks the T-Birds are to their fellow Rydell Rangers. And although Danny and Kanicki do not participate in the harassment, they do allow it to happen. So in the shooting script, Eugene's character is described as the guy you love to hate, quote unquote. And he comes towards them in a Robert Hall suit and gleaming white bucks. So I was curious what Robert Hall was. So I looked it up and it was uh, a Robert Hall suit is referring to Robert Hall clothes. Basically, Robert Hall clothes was a man's clothing. I'm sorry. It, 
it, well, it was not a men's clothing warehouse. They had clothing for the entire family. It was a clothing warehouse. And they had stores mainly in New York, Chicago, and L.A. And they were popular between 1938 and 1977. They were known for just having really like a good quality of clothing. I think I read that they did tailoring there on site. And you could just, you know, get a really good deal on a Robert Hall suit, I guess. I found some pictures of Robert, old Robert Hall stores and some old Robert Hall ads and they will be on the Instagram page. Also, I read that Kmart and some of the bigger stores that were coming up in the 70s and 80s, they were sort of the reason that Robert Hall went out of business um, and like ready to wear clothing. Um, let's see. Oh, also in the shooting script, I just want to read a little bit of how Eugene's um, harassment is described like a precision drill team. The boys surround him, spinning him around, blowing on his glasses and messing his hair, then abruptly leave and continue on down the hall. I just thought that was I just like the writing. I don't know. Love it. Even though I don't love how they harass him. I'm sorry. It's not cool. But, you know, at least they don't physically harm him too bad. It's just it's not cool, guys. Okay. Now, the scene actually goes on, but there was, this part was cut out, but you can watch it on the DVD deleted scenes. So the T-Birds continue on up the stairs, but then Sonny stays just a few seconds longer and he steps on Eugene's shoes and either gets him dirty or puts a scuff on him and then he walks away. And then we see that Eugene stops on the steps when no one's looking after the T-Birds have gone. He sits down, takes out his shoe polish and buffs the scuff out of his shoe right there. <laughs> All right. And that is the end of our five minute segment. Oh, so actually I do want to just add in one thing. I did mention that I wanted to give a little bit of background on Michael Tucci. He is the actor who plays Sonny Latieri, our T-Bird who has his first interaction with Miss McGee in the hall on the first day of school. So Michael Tucci was born in 1946 in New York City. He was not going to be an actor originally. He actually passed the bar exam and was an assistant DA before deciding to change careers and go into acting. According to IMDb, he has made 41 appearances in TV and film, including a 1979 appearance on And in fact, Michael Tucci's IMDb picture is him in character for that Love Boat episode. He was also a returning character on It's Gary Shandling Show, which was the first time that I noticed him on a TV show other than Grease when I was a kid. Now, this is something that was a big thing with me. Um, Grease was like such a big deal to me. And I knew all the actors' faces so well. Anytime I caught another actor in a different role other than Grease, I just... I, it always caught me, it, I was always struck by it, I always like took note. So the first time I noticed Michael Tucci 
in It's Gary Shanling's show, that was like, that was a notable moment to me. And that kept me coming back to Gary Shanling's show was just to watch Michael Tucci. Um, the same thing happened when I discovered that John Travolta was in Welcome Back, Cotter. That was a huge moment for me. And that was the only reason I watched Welcome Back, Cotter. And the same when I discovered that Jeff Conaway, who plays Kanicki, uh, that he was on Taxi. And same when I discovered that Dee Dee Khan, who plays Frenchie, was on Benson. So if you want to go back and look up any of these TV shows and just, you know, find your old, uh, your favorite Grease actors, that's something fun you can do. All right. So I have talked so much and I just want to say to you and to myself, thank you for bearing with me. This is a learning process for me and it's something I really, really want to do but I know that there's a learning curve. I have a lot to get better at. Um, I want to get better at it. And I'm, I'm re feeling really vulnerable because I'm putting myself out there in a way that I'm not used to. But I just have to say, I feel like this is something that I really need to do for myself creatively. And it feels good to do it. And... I can feel myself growing and overcoming some fears and that for me is so huge. And for you to be a part of that and to be listening, whoever you are, thank you for just being here for that growth. Okay. And thank you for being here just to learn a little more about Greece. I mean, you know, I'm just telling myself, I'm going to make a podcast that I would want to listen to. And this is exactly the thing that I love nerding out on my favorite movie. So again, thank you for being here. I'm Cassie and this is Greaseology. Mm.